0: Thank you for listening to Eclipse Epics. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 25, finland So this is going to be our last in the wrap-up of the Winter War for Finland. This is going to take us up to pretty much the present day. So after World War Two. And the Soviet Union and the United States kind of deal with everything they have to regarding the important things. Like Germany, not saying Finland's not important, but I think you understand what I'm getting at. Like Japan. The Soviets get around to signing a treaty with the Finns. And this is happening in 1948. And this is basically gonna make Finland neutral for the foreseeable future. Now, if part of the details of this treaty is that they are to a resist attack from Germany and other allies, read NATO. It. Th- that is a demand, you know, uh, like a, a thing in the treaty. You must resist an attack from either Germany or the Allies. I'm guessing in the treaty they said West Germany because West Germany is the NATO-allied part of Germany and East Germany is part of the Soviet bloc, the Warsaw Pact, all that. Not so great stuff. And that they are allowed to ask the Soviet Union for help with the attack, that that theoretical attack from the West. I'll just blanket call it the West in this instance to make it easy. But importantly, that treaty did not oblige Finland to help the USSR if they are attacked. So say if... The West decided to attack the Soviet Union. Um, Let's say France and and the UK and the United States got together and be like, "Let's invade the Soviet Union." (coughs) France, not France. Finland is not obligated to help the Soviet Union, which is kind of a you know kind of a diplomatic win for Finland in this instance. It left Finnish structures in place. And what I mean by that is the democracy and capitalism that the Finns had enjoyed were kept. It wasn't replaced with a communist dictatorship. It wasn't replaced with a communist planned economy. The Finns were kind of, sort of, allowed to run their own program. There were some caveats, obviously, like, hey, these rightist parties, ranging anywhere from actual Nazis to we kind of think they're Nazis, you gotta get them out of the paint. See you, bye. Oh, yeah, by the way, we want the parties that we like, like the communists and, like, socialists still be in charge. Um, or not even be in charge, but be in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we want them to be at least in the mix. And wink-wink can't wink, hint, hint, make us happy every once in a while. This created fear amongst the Finns in regards to their freedom. Signing this treaty with the Soviet Union because it did restrict their freedom, right? This is, But this is the thing. And you see a lot of the same arguments made by american people you saw it through COVID. a lot of the arguments were based around this idea of freedom now we can argue the merits of whether they're actually talking about freedom or there's a subtext going on there i'm not going to do that right now i'm going to take their argument at face value and what i'm going to say is the idea that what do you mean by freedom because one person's freedom is another person's tyranny in a lot of ways, and does freedom mean, you know, an absolute ability to start swinging my fist around as much as I possibly want, and you can't tell me what to do, even if I accidentally hit somebody across the face? Is that freedom? Because someone who's, the person swinging their, their fists, you know, wildly in the air, they think that's freedom, but the, all the people around them don't think that's freedom, right? They, think, they see that as a threat in a lot of ways. We also saw, like I said, very early on in the process, even before this treaty was signed, communists were kind of allowed to be involved in the pro- process, and being involved in the process meant that they were actually becoming ministers, and there was a... A lot of communist ministers in charge in Finland. Pretty soon after the signing of this treaty, the Finns start ousting the communist members. And this is due to the Finnish republican system and a lot of lower common officers not really jiving with communism, right? The Finnish system, the Finnish Republican system, did not really support communism, bristled against communism. A lot of Republican systems do do not do that, right? It's not a system that is blind in a way ideologically. Um, Republicanism and democracies are not ideologically blind. It's not just like, well, if every, like, 51% of the people want to be communist, that means we're just going to be communists. That's not how that works in a lot of ways. Regardless, you did see a lot of communist ministers who came to power right after the Lapland War and the Continuation War being ousted late 1940s, early 1950s. And part of what you saw here right the fear of freedom aside right is if you want to step back and look at it through a cold rational point of view is that finland safeguarded their democracy in exchange for its explicit neutrality right it was able to maintain normal economic trade with the west like they were allowed they were making a like money they were making products and stuff like that and they were doing a good job they were allowed to keep doing that but there was a cost to that and the cost was hey when the west goes around and says hey we're going to give you when the united states specifically goes around and say hey we're going to give you a bunch of money so you can rebuild so we don't have another hitler come to power or another tojo come to power or another Mussolini come to power you need to reject that, and everyone in the Warsaw Pact did, and and this included Finland. You can't take that money, and you can't become part of NATO. That is an explicitly anti-Soviet organization, and we're going to talk about NATO, not in the next episode, but in the episode after that, because I am going to talk about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and Finland's actually a little bit involved in that. Um, in a way, They're a side story, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. You can't join NATO. You can't join these these blocks that are arrayed against us in a lot of ways, and along with, and this is where I think free speech advocates are going to be like, well, okay, you know, or or like. Are going to be like, oh, this is the, the that rejection of freedom I'm talking about. That treaty, signing that treaty, and um, and the Finnish attitude after signing that treaty was basically they censored themselves. They, you know, self censorship that became you know a buzzword in the late 2010s because a bunch of people who really hate racism but really hate. Do not having the ability to express themselves and by racism you can add in sexism and transphobia and all the you know the isms that are out there um that was a word that they hit on we we're like okay well we agree with you but we kind of want the ability to say what we want and not be punished for that and a similar thing happened with finland here Where they censored themselves, they censored anti-Soviet and anti-communist media in a lot of ways. And this is not to, you know, this is done not to piss off the Soviet Union because, like, this is the thing with, you know, I can guarantee there were a lot of free speech advocates in Finland because I know they were there basically saying, what the, you know, like, I can't even say something that is, right in front of your face it's in front of everybody's face that i can't even say the sky is blue and because you know the mustachioed man atop the soviet union doesn't want to hear the fact from anywhere close to him that the sky is blue but the thing is and, and pointing this out to this free speech advocates and maybe you know even free speech advocates of today just because You can like there are just because you can say something doesn't mean there aren't consequences for what you say, and maybe you won't feel the consequences. Like living in the United States, you know, this generally comes from a more privileged class, right? Usually, it's white men. I'm not gonna sit here and say it's not. You know, you have like certain people that outside those bounds defending it too. I'm not saying it's, it's you know. Only white men. I'm just saying it's generally white men in the sense is you're not feeling the consequences in this way of like your free speech. You you know, if you want to sit here and bang like, you know, I don't know, say the thing that we all think about this, this we all think about whatever group you want to think of. It doesn't have consequences for you, but it does have consequences for the people that are in that group that you're talking about. It has negative consequences. Like take take like trans like trans people for instance. There were a lot, you know. There's that fighter, um, Fallon Fox. She was a transgender um, w- woman. She was a man who transitioned to a woman. She was fighting in MMA. She was beating a lot of women, and a, there was a lot of uproar about that. And a lot of the discourse around that, and a lot of the discourse around trans trans people. I I, you can't say one-to-one it led to, but like uh, led to some people, you know, trans people who did nothing wrong getting persecuted, treated poorly by their former, not former, their fellow Americans and also being beaten. There was a, uh, a former Navy SEAL and his last name, her last name, sorry, her last name was Beck, I believe. And she was on the fighter and the kid. This is back a long time ago because I can't remember the last time I listened to that show. But she was talking about being followed by a bunch of dudes, and literally them not knowing. Hey, I used to be a former Navy. Se- I used to be a Navy SEAL. This is not gonna be a good like. This is not gonna be a good day for some of you. She got hurt a lot. Like you know, she fought multiple people, like four or five people, but. You know, they caught some licks as well, but it's just the idea of like these these things that you think that are just going to be like, okay, well, let me just express this, get this off my chest, because I think there's something going on here in the Fallon Fox issue that has a negative consequence for a bunch of people you're never going to meet in a lot of ways. Like these might like the problem with a lot of people who are always arguing for free speech is they don't realize like at the microphone that the microphone is a responsibility. I always like tell people there, you know, there's not always tell people like I, I, I'm a definite believer in responsibility. I, I, I just grew up that way. Like, I don't know how I did it, but I did like, I, I you know, you, you, you gotta take ownership, especially when you screw up. Don't try to hide it, you know, be, be, be an upright citizen and an up- upright person about that and your words and your actions have effects on other people and that free speech movement that i've seen over the last like five six seven years kind of removes that no, no i get to do whatever i want you can't tell me that i have an effect on other people and no, you're the problem. You're too sensitive. And I'm saying all that to say, to really make a concrete case of it, um, let's bring it back to Finland. If someone were to say, be like, you know what? Screw the Soviet Union. Sh- screw Joseph Stalin. We're going to eat cake or no, we're going to we're going to we're going to criticize the Soviet Union. And what's going to happen after after a country that had been Destroyed by war for the last five or six years and had trouble rebuilding and had to resettle 400,000 people, if you remember correctly, because they, you know, after the continuation war, the Finnish Soviet border was set to the 1940 borders, because so those 4,000 people still had to go back to stay or stay in Finland. They couldn't, you know, maybe they could briefly go back when. The Finns were basically in East Karelia, but you didn't have that after 1944, 1944, the late 1944 into 1945, right? you got to go back to, like, Finland proper in this case. Um, but, like, w- if you make that decision, what's going to happen? The Soviet Union's going to take a bunch of tanks, and now they're not fighting another war right and they're not concentrating on another war i mean yeah they're trying to like squeeze west berlin to get as much concessions out of this uh, the united states as they possibly can they're keeping an eye on japan they're kind of dealing with china in a lot of ways right because like even though china was communist it, they didn't always agree all the time they're keeping an eye on you know the the united states and stuff like that but they could turn their Sauron's eye right on you and they can blow up that Karelian Isthmus with a lot of really awesome tanks and T-32s and T-33s and basically make you part of the Warsaw Pact and not even think about it. So, what I'm saying, like, to relate the free speech movement of today to this this thing going on here, like, you ha- that has consequences, right? The idea that you're just saying something and there's nothing— That goes past it. it is wrong. You have consequences. That that has a consequence. And whether you want to deal with the consequences or not, well, hey, that's you, but they're there. And you can not deal with them all you want, but they're still there. I say all that to say, even though I get into, uh, I got into a little... uh, present politics in a lot of ways, uh, but getting back to the past, which is past politics, or getting back to history, which is past politics, Finland also, in this time period, became a ground zero for spies, for espionage. The KGB, the Stasi, which was the East German um, Secret Service, or not Secret Service, Security intel. it was the East German Intelligence Agency, and the CIA, all were active in Finland, you know, I, you know, having the CIA, you know, chilling there as kind of a safe space, like a new, sh- like a gray area where you can be like, okay, well we can not try to go into Russia and try to like infiltrate a, the Kremlin or something like that, but also we can be close enough to where maybe we can glean a thing or two off what's going on, and You know Russia is definitely operating in Finland, so maybe you can get some some high-level whispers at a low cost in a lot of ways. And this is all before the death of Joseph Stalin. Because when Joseph Stalin dies, that Soviet policy toward Finland relaxed a little bit. In 1955 the Soviet Union returned land to Finland. They actually uh, made them sign like a 30-year lease to a naval base that is basically in the Gulf of Finland. I can't remember the name of it. Um, It's like right near Helsinki. And they, or is that, no, it was a five decade lease. Sorry. It was like a 50 year lease. And, Basically, it was returned in 1955, and it was about four decades early that they returned it. And we're like, what are we doing this for? Um, Soviet troops that were stationed in Finland after the Continuation War and after the Lapland War were withdrawn. Khrushchev was just like, again, for who? For what? What are we doing here? And Finland was kind of... Allowed to join organizations now. They weren't allowed to join any organizations. Not only NATO, they weren't. I- they weren't really allowed to join the United Nations. They did after after Stalin's death, and uh, when this thing called the Nordic Council was forming, and it's a bunch of Scandinavian countries getting together, working out trade deals, talking diplomacy, and various things, and. Maybe some not nice things because we all know how power works. Um, When it was first happening, when Stalin was alive, that was a, nope, you can't do that. You're not doing that. I, we would be pissed if you did. We, we would look at it on, like, the nice way of putting it is, like, we would look at it unfavorably if you did do that. I sounded like a little bit of Churchill there. Uh, I need just a cigar, but I already have, like, cigar lung because I'm, reco- um, I'm recovering from COVID for my second round of that. That was fun. I'm surprised I haven't coughed once today once during this recording, which is good. I might constantly sound like I have like gravel in my in my throat because I'm still coughing two more than two weeks later, it's annoying. But regardless what the what the death of Stalin also did was basically say, you know, yeah, you can join the Nordic Council, but don't join NATO. We don't want that because again, that's explicitly anti-communist, anti-Soviet. Please don't do that. Let's not do that. Let's, you know, we'll, we'll, we 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 can work on a lot of things, but let's not join NATO. NATO kind of annoys us, and to be fair, like it was an explicitly anti-Soviet organization. So, like, if today or at the time you look at that and. The like, let's take it today. If Russia decided to create an anti United States organization, I think that like the pacts they have with Iran and uh, North Korea are anti US. And let's say they invited, I'm trying to think of a country that would work Uruguay, just pick an or I think it's pronounced Uruguay more. Uh, correctly, and I go to my pronunciations of things. Uh, my, my, my guide, my light, my, uh, my, um, beacon in the darkness in this instance is obviously, uh, Chris Whittingham of the Dan Lebtard show. But if they ask Uruguay to join this organization, this explicitly anti. United States organization. How do you think Washington would deal with that? I'm going to guess, given Monroe Doctrine and the Roosevelt corollary to the Monroe Doctrine, they're not going to look at that favorably even a little bit. So, that being said, there is one final thing I want to talk about when I'm talking about or when we're talking about Finlandization. Now, this is something that has been bandied about for the last year, actually the last year, a little less than the last year, because I'm recording this on January 5th, 2023. I'm obviously referring to it being talked about a lot in the last year because of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. But there is before the... Russian invasion of U- Ukraine. A little bit of finger wagging going on here with the way Finland acted toward the Soviet Union. And the more and more I read the finger wagging and felt the. <laughs> It's not the derision. That's not the right word. It's not the right word. I'm going to go with derision, knowing it's not the right word. That Western commentators have toward Finlandization because it is very hard for them to consider any arrangement with the Soviet Union that is at all gray. It is either all or nothing. You're either with us or you're against us. And the highlighting of the lack of freedom of speech, the lack of ability to join NATO, in criticizing Finland's approach to the Soviet Union, I find misguided. And I'm using that word charitably because I thought of another word, but I'm like, nah, it's too much. I got to wait for things that are actually that to say that. Because, again, I want you to be put in Finland's shoes. They're devastated by two to three wars that they fought in six years, they lost the Winter War. Repeat, they lost. I watched a YouTube video saying that they won the Winter War. No, they lost the Winter War. Only reason they didn't fall, or Helsinki didn't fall, was because of some last-second groveling to save Finland from the Red Army in that instance. They lost the Continuation War. They didn't lose the Lathline War. They just had to kick the Germans out. The The land, the Carilian Isthmus, the south is devastated. They lost a bunch of people. They just had a bunch of families displaced. And it was a drag and drain on the whole society. And you're, as a Western... Person who is thousands of miles away from what Finland ever experienced in this war are sitting here be like, You should have stood up to the Soviet Union because freedom of speech is super important. I find distasteful. Because if I went through all that, it's the same stuff. It's the same arguments. It's the same people that wag their finger at 1940 France who sit here and say, you should have stood up to Hitler and you should have put out a better performance. And I, what I always do when I hear it, because it's a lot of Americans doing that, because they're like, well, we helped you in World War One. We helped you in World War II. And we tried to help you out in Vietnam even though we sucked there too and we did the sa- made the same mistakes you did as well. It's the same thing. And the things I point out is you lose 30% of your draft age male population and then you take that generation that you lost it and then 20 years later when they're in charge, you put, they're going to be in charge, you then have a similar instance where you're seeing a repeat of the trauma you experienced because you actually survived it of the Great War, are you not going to be like, you know what, maybe we should just, you know... Because the deal that France got wasn't bad. De Gaulle basically went off and did his own thing and he is lionized today for doing his own thing in a lot of ways in circumvention of treaties made between the actual French government at the time and Nazi Germany. Right. But the deal for the, Fr- I mean, unless you're Jewish obviously or, or any sort of minority that the Nazis didn't like, like I'm not sitting here saying it was a good deal. I'm not sitting here saying the, <laughs> the Jews were playing with puppies the whole time and nothing bad happened. I'm not saying that. Not not doing that. But for like the people in charge of France at the time, that looks like a better deal than four years and losing again thirty percent, another thirty percent of your draft age men. And you got to think about all the the effects on society that brings like okay you lose 30 percent of the male population that's 30 percent less men who are able to sire children to and and the increase and the subsequent drop in birth rates because of that because and let's not let's not try to make it as consequential as birth let's bring let's bring it back to like hey like living in a quote-unquote free society in a lot of ways like assuming a heteronormative society too is the idea of like there are 30 percent less men for women to like you know hang out with and be in a relationship with right so what does that do to a society again and a bunch of those people in charge you'd be like we can we can't do this again we can't and what i say to and, and how i relate that back to finland is like hey you can say whatever you want cuz we're technically a democracy and we technically have freedom but do you want the the pinching of resources that we had to do during the winter war to survive that and to get the shitty deal to get the bad deal that we got out of the Winter War? Remember the 400,000 families we had to resettle? Remember all of the work we had to do to rebuild our country after these wars? Do you want to go through that again? Because you have all the power in the world to say whatever you want. But everyone around you, I don't think they want to interrupt your lives because you want to say, hey, Stalin's bad. We all know that Stalin's bad. We all know that. We're not stupid. We gotta act smart, though. We gotta act prudent. We gotta be pragmatists, right? And it comes and, and and if I was a Finnish person and I was hearing the Western liberals, liberals, conservatives, commentators wagging their finger at me and be like, "You shouldn't have, you know, you should have stood up to Soviet Union. You should have called Stalin what he was—a horrible dictator." I'm like, "You do that." And you deal with the pro- the consequences because the people who are making, criticizing people are never dealing with the consequences of what they're suggesting people do, right? You see a lot of sports radio. They should have, like, or people watching sports. Oh, man, I, you know, like, they see, like, a relatively unathletic play or something, you know, someone could have, like, done a little bit better. Like, I could have done that. It's usually, like, a 260-pound overweight man. And I'm like, no, you can't because if you could you'd be doing it generally and you don't know all the stuff they have to go through to do that on that television screen that's why they're on the television screen and you're on the couch watching paying for them to do that with your cable bill and one last thing before we finish this episode so that relaxed policy of The Soviet Union towards Finland lasted for the better part until the collapse of the Soviet Union and the transition, the chaotic transition, from the Soviet Union to the Russian Federation in the 1990s. And for the better part since then... Finland has been very wary of their neighbor to the east. They might have been down in the 1990s and the 2000s and even the 2010s, but they're never out. And Finland, although maybe the explicit anti-Russian and I guess anti-Soviet rhetoric, might have been gone, they're still... The country is still hesitant or was still hesitant up until very recently to anger, especially Putin, but mostly the Russian Federation too much because they have economic relations with Russia and they try to, you know, work with them and try to make good solutions that benefit both sides. That was until the Russians decided to invade Ukraine in February, late February of 2022. And this is where I'm going to stop because that is where we're going to pick up in two episodes from now. Because the next episode is going to be the proper wrap up of the second season of Eclipse Epics. I'm going to talk about how I think I did and what's in store for the third season, and I don't even know when that's coming out, to be honest with you. And maybe what I have in store for extended epics as we're waiting for this third season to coalesce into something concrete. But that being said, I hope you enjoy your new year.